This podcast is funded by Ted Dintersmith, the executive producer of the acclaimed film Most Likely to Succeed, and the author of the best-selling book What School Could Be. So we had a fundraiser where we partnered with the Surfrider Foundation and we sold reusable utensils. We did beach cleanups. We had a recycling drive. And it was just this amazing, beautiful project that came to life because Mrs. Lee believed in those kids, because Mrs. Kunihisa believed in me, because me and those students believed in each other and we trusted each other. And like, look at what transpired from that. And I think that that's so beautiful when I look back on it. This is Josh Rapoon, and you are listening to the What School Could Be podcast. Before we start the show, please consider joining the rapidly growing What School Could Be global online community. Simply install the What School Could Be app on your smart device or go to community.whatschoolcouldbe.org. I look forward to seeing you there. My guest today is Ashley Mika Ito Masion, an innovative, imaginative, and creative teacher on the island of Oahu in the state of Hawaii. Zach Morita, a previous guest on this podcast and a middle school music teacher, wrote the following to me. Ashley is the teacher every student needs. She is the colleague that every educator needs. She is the friend that every human needs. Ashley is a fierce advocate for student and teacher voice. As a second grade teacher at Kanoilani Elementary School, a Hawaii State Teacher Fellow, co-founder of the Hawaii Distance Learning Forum, and board member for Hawaii Youth Philanthropy and the Hawaii Youth-Powered Education Designers. Through all of her contributions to uplift Hawaii schools, I am beyond proud that Ashley was recognized as the Hawaii Department of Education's 2022 Pearl City Waipahu Complex Teacher of the Year. It has been a lot of fun to work, learn, and play as innovators and collaborators alongside my dear friend, Ashley. Ashley's principal and another former guest on this show wrote the following. It is with tremendous sense of humility and honor that I am able to nominate Miss Ashley Ito as a candidate for the 2022 National Teacher of the Year. She has been a pivotal person for many students and teachers during this pandemic. Not only has she earned the respect and admiration of our Kanoalani team, but she has been applauded by her colleagues across the state for her innovative creation of the Hawaii Distance Forum. This brainchild of hers was designed to break down walls of vulnerability, build community, and shore up teacher voices. Ashley comes across as soft-spoken and gentle, yet her actions show a tremendous amount of passion for education. She fondly refers to her class as little otters and finds creative ways to build inclusivity and a sense of belonging. Ashley is like a beacon of light showing all teachers that there is truly a silver lining behind these dark times. And finally, Stacy Kawamura, a principal and the parent of one of Ashley's students wrote, exceptional teachers have an it factor that can sometimes be difficult to describe, but when you see it in action, you know. 
Teaching is who they are, not just what they do. They commit themselves to their students year after year, continue their own journey of learning, advocate for their school, students, and colleagues, and maybe most importantly, elevate the profession. Ashley Mika Itomacion is exceptional, period. And now, here's my conversation with Ashley Mika Itomacion. Ashley, welcome to the What School Could Be podcast. Thank you, Josh. Thank you so much for having me. So, Ashley, you noted to me the significance of a book titled We Were Dreamers by Simu Liu, subtitled An Immigration Superhero Origin Story. And you also noted in a related tweet that you were feeling sad as you read Liu's work because you had not asked your mom more about your mom and dad's immigration story while she was alive. So together, Ashley, let's imagine, and this is a very unusual beginning (laughs) to this particular podcast, so (laughs) bear with me. Let's imagine we have our moms sitting here with us, and we get to ask them one question each, a question about anything at all. And I will go first, you follow, and let's make sure that we explain to our listeners why we are asking the question we're asking, okay? Sounds good. So, Ashley, my parents, Fred and Jean Rapoon, loved each other beyond all bounds. And Mm -hmm. I think my question to my mom would focus on when she met my father, which I never really knew about, and how they met and what happened on their first date and how they felt about each other even as early as their first dates together. And I I just feel like looking back now, and my mom passed away way back in 1981, that I want to know what the glue was that bonded them together so tightly. And just like your tweet reminded me that I never really had that. I had the opportunity, Ashley, but I didn't take it. And I wish I had. I feel some regret about that because I would love to know more about that moment, which neither one of them ever wrote about or, you know, there was nothing about that that we can know today. I would just need to have her back in order to ask her that question. So that's my question to my mom. So what was your mom's name and what do you want to ask her? What story do you want to hear and why? And I will note to our listeners that in that related tweet I mentioned, you were using a photo of your mom as a bookmark, which I loved. Wow, this is, I love this introduction, Josh. You're just getting right in there. <laughs> and I, I feel you, you know, losing our moms. It's a different experience. And I just want to let you know, I'm with you. Mm. I feel you. So in the past year, I've just kind of been more interested. I've been trying to dig deeper into like, my story and where I come from, who am I? Mm. I've experienced in the last year a lot of imposter syndrome, a lot of like, I, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I want to do. And so I've been kind of on this journey where I want to learn more about my story and, and all of that. And I think that kind of sparked it. But like you said, Simu Lu's book, really, he talks about, you know, the struggles that his parents had as immigrants. And so it made me think about my own mom. And I guess 
you know, she has told me when I was growing up, just kind of the struggles of being an Asian American and living in different states and, and kind of the racism that she mm. experienced as a child. And I never, I was like, oh, that, that doesn't happen here. Like, I don't, like, I'm too young to know about this. Like, so I wish if she was here, I wish I could ask her, how did she overcome that? Or how did she not crumble when, you know, people called her names or said really foul things to her? How did she kind of pick herself back up and mm. just push on through? Because I'm very sensitive. So if I experience something like that, I just, I just don't know how she was able to be so strong. And mm. I, I would want to know, yeah, like, mm. how did she do it? Mm, wow. That's so interesting. You know, my, it's similar to my mom. My mom, you know, my I have five brothers and one sister, and wow. it was a pretty contentious thing being part of the family growing <laughs> up, as you can imagine, with five brothers. But we referred to our mom using the title of a Simon and Garfunkel song called Bridge Over Troubled Waters, mm. and that she acted as that bridge for many other people. And I've often wondered, just like you, where she got the strength to do that. Mm -hmm. Because not only within the family, but she was also a community organizer. She was involved in education and all of that. How do you how do you become a bridge? You know, I just keep, right. I guess that's another question I'd want to ask her is, you know, you know that you were a bridge. How did you do that? How did you build that? And it sounds like you're kind of wondering about the way that your mom bridged moments like that and how she got over that bridge and continued to be herself, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So kind of along the same lines, Ashley, during my prep for interviews, I often become super curious about where things come from in my guests' stories, meaning I like to try to figure out the genome of the folks I'm interviewing. And in your case, I began wondering where your North Star, which is relationships, 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 comes from. <laughs> so where in your life story did you begin to value relationships with the intensity that you feel today? Wow. I think it's kind of morbid, but, you know, after my mom passed away, just like your mom, Josh, this is so cool, is that, you know, she was a community organizer. Mm -hmm. In her own sense, she was an educator. She's always wanted to be a teacher, but... It just didn't happen. It wasn't in her cards. But later on in life, you know, she taught Sunday school. She worked with kids. And I think part of that, like, sparked my passion for teaching, too. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, this is something that me and her have common ground on. And before she passed, you know, she talked about relationships. And she talked about not just having these friendships and not just being friends with people, but maintaining them and just the intentionality that you have to live with, the purpose you have to live with, with these connections and with these relationships. And so, you know, at the time I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, and after she passed away, when we had her funeral and over, I swear, it's like over 500 people came mm. and just seeing the, when I'm giving my speech at her funeral and just seeing every single pew is you know filled there's a line outside there's people that we haven't seen in years there's people that we see every day there's her old bosses her her old co-workers just that I was like ding like mm. you know it kind of came full circle and I was like okay I really have to like be intentional be purposeful with my relationships maintain them 
you know, nurture them, water them, find those people who are important to me and, and just keep them close. Was there a moment in your life where you had that, that kind of metacognition where you realized like, wow, relationships are really important to me. You know, people often have moments like that. Like you talked a little bit earlier about having imposter syndrome. I still remember the first time that that thought ever crept into my head. Somebody said, oh, maybe you have imposter syndrome. I'd never heard the term before. Right. And I was like, dang, they just they just identified it. And then I started thinking about it. Was there ever a moment where you were sort of um, super aware all of a sudden that relationships were important to you? Yeah, I think getting into teaching. And so becoming a teacher, I I realized in college, they don't teach you all that stuff that like how important it is to connect with your kids. Kids don't want to learn from you if they don't feel connected to you. Parents don't want to work with you if they don't think that you have the best interests of their child or they think that they can't relate to you or, you know, that you don't understand or that you're not championing for their child or for them. And so I think within my first year, I was like, Mm. whoa, like I really got to work on those relationships. And I think I was very open. You know, I gave my email, my cell phone. I'm like, text me anytime, call me anytime. Like, let's, let's do this. And I realized now going into my 10th year that I need to have boundaries, but still be able, (laughs) still be able to maintain those relationships and, and have that mutual respect. So yeah, teaching has, you know, amongst a, a lot of other things has definitely shown me how important relationships are. Yeah, that's wonderful. So I want to ask a follow-up question about this relationships <laughs> concept. So I wonder if we can trace your emphasis on relationships back, at least partly, to a challenging moment when you were 20, when your mom passed away and you had a negative interaction with an advisor in your graduate program at the University of Hawaii's College of Education. So what is that story and what did you learn about empathy and the value of relationships that you carry with you today and you carry into your teaching? Oh, yes. I will never forget. And on the record, off the record, like <laughs> don't want to bash College of Ed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was entering mm-hmm. the College of Ed in August. You know, by November, my mom had passed away and I was, this was my first semester in the College of Ed. You know, like I got everything to prove. I'm like, gung-ho I'm doing all my classes I'm getting A's I'm like yeah look at me I'm like a rock star and my mom passes away and I do drift a little bit as I think any human would Mm -hmm. but I'm still you know maintaining my classes I'm going to my student teaching I'm working part-time at Bravo I'm doing all the things I need to do and it's coming to the end of my semester and I felt like I had a really good relationship with my mentor teacher at the time But I was just kind of blindsided one day when my advisor showed up in the classroom and they wanted to talk to me. And I was like, okay, like what's going on? And it was a very unfortunate event where the mentor teacher was like, you know, you seem very distracted. You don't seem very committed. And I was just very upset at that because I was pouring everything into this because Not for my mom, but knowing that her death, you know, kind of, it did like skyrocket me and and I wanted to finish it and I wanted to show her and make her proud. I I really did. Mm. And it just was off guard. And so I wish that she had come to me first, but she didn't. She called my advisor right away. And this woman looked me in the eyes and said, well, are you doing this because you really want to be a teacher 
or are you doing this to fulfill your mother's dying wish? And wow. right. And at the time I was very vulnerable. I had very low self-esteem. I had a million thoughts in my head. I was taking care of my sister who lost her mom as well. And she's only 11 years old. I had my dad who is grieving as, you know, in a typical Asian man who doesn't show feelings and just almost turned into a hermit. And so I have all these things going on. And for her to speak that, I, I realized, I said, wow, if they had come to me with empathy and said, hey, we know you're struggling. We know you're going through this. What can we do to help you and change that whole narrative? I would have, you know, maybe like cried on their shoulder and said, you know, this is hard. Can you help me with this? Can you, let's refocus. What can we do? Let's make a plan together. But instead they kind of just decided on their own that I wasn't going to graduate with my cohort anymore. And I wasn't going to attend their meetings. I had to join like another cohort and I wasn't part of their graduation and I wasn't part of their small little intimate ceremony. And it was, it was almost like not only had I lost my mom, but I had lost mm-hmm. my support system. I had lost a little bit of who I am. I got into the program with these people. I made connections, I made friendships. And so I now realize if I see a struggling student, it's probably 99% not their fault. It's probably something going on and I have to be able to flip that narrative. And I always ask myself, what is going to be helpful or hurtful? And I always go with helpful. Ashley, I've, you know, in the in the 88 episodes that I of this podcast that I've done so far, that might actually be the most meaningful story that I've heard. And I can just imagine how your North Star, which is relationships, is so tied to that moment that you're committed to all of your kids all of the time, no matter what the circumstances are, right? Yes. And that's absolutely fabulous. And I hope our listeners hear this loud and clear. So you know, that's actually a perfect segue to my next question, which is that you arrived at Kanoilani Elementary shortly after your principal, Stacy Kunihisa, brought the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement and conference to both your campus and to Hawaii. So I'm going to read a short section of the Choose Love Pledge, which you can find at their website. So here it goes. Quote, I will have the courage to be grateful when life is not easy to forgive myself and others, to cut the cord that attaches me to pain, and to step outside the busyness of my life to help others. This is how I choose love. And the empowering lesson is that it is my choice. I choose love instead of hate and anger. Right now and every day, I will choose to replace an angry thought with a loving thought. So I wonder, Ashley, that sometimes external movements, programs, initiatives like Choose Love transform campus life, and sometimes people move on and the impact recedes. So how has Choose Love made a difference at Kanoilani Elementary? Like, in what ways did it become woven into your school's culture? I love that. I love that quote that you read. It's, like, perfect. When you when you were saying it, I was just thinking of all the bright spots at Kanoilani and just how you're absolutely right, how it has transformed 
you know, not only our campus, but our teachers and then how it falls back onto the students and how it's transformed them as well. You know, with Choose Love, you're like, oh, okay, you know, you're given this free curriculum, you have some lessons and everything like that. But for the most part, we work together as a school, we work together as a grade level, we look at the curriculum and then we come up with our own worksheets. We come up with our own activities, our own kind of spin on it to truly make Choose Love something that is can be used in real life and that can be, I guess, the word bridge, you know, between our students and ourselves where, you know, they have the courage to tell us if something is not feeling great at home or at school or they have, you know, the gratitude to thank us for the hours that we spend planning activities and and things like that, that they have, that they show compassion in action every day and all of that. And I... Oh, wow. Okay. In what ways has it transformed our school? It's just, it's just a great place to be. And, and I say that with so much gratitude because I know that there are some schools where, or even some workplaces where it doesn't feel like that Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. And not saying that, you know, it's always rainbows and sunshines at our school, but for the most part, it's, it has really helped us bring empathy to the table that I think a lot of, you know, years of education I think we've lacked empathy we Mm -hmm. kind of look at a kid who's like a troublemaker or look at a kid who doesn't do his homework or you know and we don't think like oh well why does he why is he acting out or she acting out why are they not doing their homework and so I think this program has allowed us to kind of approach it differently and get an understanding and work together and I think that's the biggest thing I would have to say is just working together and collaborating So it sounds like it's actually something that the faculty has chosen, no pun intended, to to do (laughs) together, right? I mean, they've chosen to practice Choose Love, and that there are many parts to that practice, some that are kind of communal and some that are individual, as you described, your own spin on it. But altogether, it means that the faculty and the staff and administration are practicing Choose Love on a daily basis. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. Mm. And and just in your experience, since you were coming into Kanoilani at the time that this was happening, you know, that the that the demeanor of the kids, like what has been the demeanor of the kids? Do they do they carry themselves with, you know, a sense of of dignity uh, or at, at least that they're understood, that they feel like they belong and kind of how does that manifest itself as you go to school every day? Yeah, absolutely. I think it has, I think Choose Love for the students has opened a line of communication for them that mm. they know they can go to anybody. They can go to any teacher. They can go to the counselors that we have, our amazing counselors. They can go to even the vice principal, our principal, and they can tell them how they're feeling. And it gives them really the tools to do that. And if I may, you know, speaking from my own experience as a taking my teacher hat off and as a parent, you know, having my son come to the school, he really lacked ways to communicate. And I think in part, that's, you know, a a little bit of Asian culture where we don't Mm -hmm. like talk about our feelings. We don't have those tools to, to really arm us, but just seeing his growth from kindergarten to now where he can have an open conversation with me and say, mom, 
I really didn't like when you said that it made me feel this way and that I can say, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't mean it in that way. And we can have this conversation. I have just seen his emotional growth for the four years that almost five years that he's been there. And I couldn't be, you know, more happy, more proud of him. And every day, like you said, you know, where we have bucket filling, we have weekly newscasts where, you know, students shout out other students. We have Wendy Nakayama has the Choose Love Rocks. So she, you know, every year, Students paint these rocks, they put messages on them, they hide them all around the island, all over the country, out internationally. People hide them, upload them, hide them somewhere else. And it's just been that movement too. It's like Mm. so creative. Mm. You know, Ashley, one of the five themes of the innovation playlist associated with what school could be, which is the inspiration for this podcast is caring and connected communities. And I'm actually, frankly, kind of floored at what you just said, because, you know, sometimes you think that you're you're setting the bar high, but it turns out the bar is not as high as you thought. So when we commit ourselves to, you know, that every kid in school has at least one caring adult that they can reach out to, In a way, that's a great goal, but it's almost a low bar. And what you're Mm. saying is that every student at Kanoilani can reach out to every adult. And that's setting a very high bar. And I love that thought. I love that too. I, yeah, I love that. I, when you're saying that, I was thinking of like past experiences and, you know, when I've had struggling students and immediately what happens is a team gets together parents are involved, student is involved, and we just love on that child, I think. And we make a plan, help that student out. And yeah, yeah. that's that's amazing. How many students that you're at Kanoilani, Ashley? Um, I roughly, a little over 800, I believe. Wow, that's just phenomenal. I mean, we're not talking about a small school with 30 students. We're talking <laughs> roughly 800. And that's that's remarkable. I'm, I'm just very, very glad to have heard all of this from you. So that's great. So, hey, everybody, stay with us. We'll be back in a minute with more questions for Ashley Mika Ito Masion. Hey there. Are you interested in hearing weekly conversations with authors, leaders, and practitioners at the forefront of learning and education innovation? Then you'll love the Getting Smart podcast. This podcast amplifies the incredible work being done by some of the most innovative minds in education. Learn new leadership styles, new technologies, new frameworks and mindsets, and get the fuel you need to stay motivated and curious. Together, we can empower all learners to thrive. It's available at gettingsmart.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, friends. This is Toy Hirschman from EntreEd. It is my great honor to uplift this excellent podcast, What School Could Be. As always, we are super excited to support innovation in education. We've been lucky enough to feature some of the incredible What School Could Be educators on our podcast. If you are looking to be inspired by entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial educators and other great minds from across the world, check out the EntreEd Talk podcast and please like and subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for tuning in. Hey everyone. We are back with Ashley Mika Ito Masion, a public elementary school educator and founder of the Hawaii Distance Learning Forum. So Ashley, you shared with me three books that have influenced you over the years. 
We already mentioned We Were Dreamers by Simu Liu. You also mentioned Move Your Bus by Ron Clark and Hacking Leadership by Dr. Joe Sanfilippo. So I want to ask about hacking leadership. Sanfilippo talks about leadership using the metaphor of water. Some leaders conform like water does to a cup's sides, and other leaders find the smallest cracks and, like water, treat them as opportunities to create paths that were not there before. So though the global pandemic was a giant break in the dam rather than a small crack, I wonder if your founding of the Hawaii Distance Learning Forum was a hacking leadership moment where you flowed like the, you know, through the the rip in the dam and stepped up because the moment required new models of leadership. Like, what are your thoughts about San Filippo's metaphor in the context of your creation of this thing? Wow, you know, every time. And even still now, every time someone mentions me, my name and leader leader or leadership in the same <laughs> sentence, I get a little sweaty just because <laughs> I still don't see that as being a leader. But I have to realize that, you know, I I did step up during a time, like you said, that was kind of uncertain. It yes, was you did a lot of confusion. It was a lot of unknown. It was just you know, being a teacher is chaotic, but this was like chaotic. So you, you saw the break in the dam and you moved through it like water. What was the break? How did you see it in real time? How did you move through that moment, making decisions probably minute by minute, hour by hour? I just, I think I leaned on my colleagues. I realized truly, you know, that we are not alone, that we feel the same things, that we are going through the same struggles, that we are together in this. And I think that that has been my biggest takeaway from the whole experience of distance learning, of starting Hawaii Distance Learning Forum, is that, again, I think it comes back to relationships, Josh. Mm -hmm. You know, like, if you have a strong support system, if you have people, and it doesn't even have to be a lot of people, it could be one, it could be two, it could be five, and you have those people who are your people, those are your people, you just have that mentality, you have that will, you have that dedication that to move on and to want to do better, to be better, to lift other people up and I think that that's what that moment brought me was I was I thought to myself you know we have to lean in on our colleagues we have so much local talent I cannot say that enough you know Mm -hmm. there's so many teachers where distance learning wasn't new to them that they had those resources that they could share that they had ideas and this was a time of innovation truly to see education differently Mm. So I actually want to come at this from a slightly different direction and and go after this innovation thing. So I want to talk specifically about when and how innovation strikes us. So when it happens, Mm. how it happens, how it can be like a thunderbolt out of the blue. So (laughs) what is the story of you asking Alexa how to do distance learning and her response and the innovation thunderbolt that became the Hawaii Distance Learning Forum? I think innovation comes to you in times where you're 
almost at the cusp of hopelessness, if that makes sense. You feel like you have exhausted all of your resources. You feel like there just is no other way. You feel like, okay, this is it. Or, you know, I'm going to fold back. I'm going to conform. And I feel like that's when it strikes you. And I think that's what makes innovation so powerful. And like you said, describing it as like a a lightning bolt, a thunder, like... It hits you, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, no, let's look at it this way. And I think for me, that moment was, again, like I said, you know, kind of leaning in on my colleagues, but just a conversation I had with my amazing husband. I can't believe I'm saying, using the adjective <laughs> amazing. <laughs> he deserves it. He deserves it. Right, right. Yeah. No, but really, he's just my rock. He, you know, I'm like, talking to him about it I'm crying which I do a lot crying just like what are we gonna do like how are we gonna help these teachers like this can't be it like you know we're gonna lose so many teachers we're going to this is hard like what do we do you know and he was just like you know what I was and me just being just talking yeah and just asking like what I wish you know there was this just a place where we could go we could we could work together we could collaborate we could connect like you know why isn't there a place that we can do this specifically you know for for distance learning um I know there's tons of online groups and things like that but why can't there just be something like a staple and so he was like well why don't we make it and I was like what I don't know any what do you mean make it like I I went to school for education not you know this kind of stuff and he was like well that's why you have me you know and I was like okay sure and I true I he's amazing like I don't know how he can do everything he does he's self-taught he's every day is like I'm in awe but he put something together and I was just like oh my gosh you are really Mm. that good (laughs) Mm. you know I, I, I think one way to understand what he did is actually to go back to the water metaphor that as you began flowing, he was like the companion child who was playing with you, and he was using his hands to dig a channel for the water to flow. In effect, he was creating a way for that water to keep on flowing. You wanted to support teachers, and he wanted to support you. So, you know, digging the channel was helping to build the forum and all the technical elements to it, the website, all of the the, you know, yeah. the, the ways that people were going to interact and tag each other and all the conversations and all that. And that, you know, it just goes right back to how we started, which is relationships and your relationship to him, right? So that's that's pretty awesome. And I, I actually, I was going to ask you, you know, maybe we, we, we have time to do this, but a local TV station posted an article online just two months after the first COVID lockdown when schools were completely closed in the state of Hawaii. And the journalist really captured the frustration you and another teacher at Roosevelt High School were feeling at that moment. And in fact, for both of you, it seemed like to some extent frustration led you to to Mm. some kind of dark places of loneliness or lack of confidence Mm -hmm. or, you know, intense questioning about what was happening. And I wonder if you can briefly just give voice or bear witness to the darkness of those early days, those early struggles in the fearful first phase of COVID. Like, I want to give you permission to speak for those other educators who were carrying pretty heavy burdens at that moment and, you know, just speak to what their state of mind was as you observed it when you were starting the forum. 
Oh, absolutely. I think in that moment also, I just kind of realized how siloed we are as educators. We kind of have these four walls that we put around us and we don't really break it down for anybody. And as educators, I feel like we are such humble creatures also that we're not, you know, running into meetings and saying, look what I did and look how awesome this is and stuff. We're very like almost meek about it. And I think that has casted a lot of loneliness in our profession where we have these four walls. We're kind of siloed. We don't really share. We don't really talk about things. We may work together as a grade level, but there's no like school to school interaction happening. And I think in the beginning of the, you know, distance learning and the lockdown and things like that, I just felt like, oh my gosh, everybody else knows what they're doing. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Do I say something? Like, what do I do? Am I am I in this alone? Like, I feel so alone. I, wow. I don't know if I can do it. And I think that's when my vulnerability, which again is a huge takeaway. I was like, you know what? I'm going to let these walls down. I'm going to show everyone that I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I don't know everything. I need help. Like, please help me. And that's where the conversation started happening and other teachers feeling the same way. And I'm like, Woo, like this feels nice that we can talk about this. We can console each other. We can work together. I said, it just started right with me kind of being vulnerable. Yeah. And then out of that comes this tremendous professional development process these power sessions that you all were doing the big conference that you held and that's you know truly remarkable ashley because in some ways and i know it sounds trite to say this but when the pandemic really got serious and we went into lockdown i think we started to pay a very dear price for 130 years of siloed Mm. teaching and what you and your colleagues did and i was a you know a front row witness to all of this was that you just kind of threw that whole history out the window and said, we have to work together to be able to get through this. And I think that that's a, that's a fabulous story. So I, I appreciate you giving us some insight into how that happened and how you were acting like water working through a crack or a dam, a break in the dam. So, okay. So shifting direction just a little bit, Ashley, in many religious and spiritual traditions, there's something called bearing witness or giving testimony. And in these traditions, individuals testify to the greater community. They bear witness to something they feel the beloved community needs to know. So I'm going to ask you to bear witness, to provide testimony briefly about a series of individuals whose stories interact with yours, okay? Okay. So let's start with you bearing witness to the ways a young student of yours, you named her Bailey, I think that's not her real name, but... You were protecting her identity. How Bailey helped you become the educator you always wanted to be? Oh, just you mentioning her name, I'm like tearing up. She, yes, I I even wrote an article about her just because of the impact that she has had on my teaching and, and me as a person as well. I was in my fourth or fifth year of teaching and I was just feeling the prices of being burnt out, being, being an educator, really. I was also a young mom. I, you know, had my son 
and just just everything felt like it was on my shoulders and I was I hate to admit it but you know I was at a point where I was like standard schmanders like let's just let's just learn let's just do this and I just I don't want to say I didn't care but I just I didn't feel that fire waking up I didn't I woke up and I was like okay here we go another day at work and slowly through the year you know spending more time with her and and her classmates as well but in more so her she just reminded me of why I wanted to be a teacher she reminded me her her and her twin sister and her brother their relationship with their mom reminded me of my mom and just reminding me that this is why I want to be a teacher. I want to be impactful like this. I want to have 500 people at my funeral. I want, you know, I want to people that I've met now come and see me 20 years later and just talk, talk to me, like see me on the road and be like, Hey, remember me? I'm, you know, da, 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 da. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yes. You know? And, and so to this day, we are still friends. We, we even text they actually just visited me not too long ago and they are moving to Las Vegas to pursue their dreams of being women flag football players. And I just think that that it's amazing that, right. That, you know, they're pursuing their dreams. And so still being able to like meet up with them and talk to them. I, I, like I said in my article, just always keep her in my pocket. Yeah. That's a, It's a wonderful story, and we'll provide a link to that beautiful article that you wrote in the show notes. And I just I just love the way that you employed all of your skills as an educator to draw her out of her quiet nature, and that it's just an awesome story. So, okay, so the next one is, what is your testimony to the community, to our listeners, about Zach Morita, a special <sighs> educator colleague of yours who the podcaster Jennifer Gonzalez might have called your marigold, your companion oh, plant. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, I'm like tearing up even more now, Josh. <laughs> Zach. Okay. It's like so funny because I joined Twitter like very hesitantly, but of course, Mrs. Kunihisa, my principal was like, guys, you have to get on Twitter and you have to find all these ideas. And she was not wrong. Like Twitter is amazing. So going on to Twitter and, one of the first people, of course, I have to follow is Zach Morita. And I'm like, oh, like, you know, he's like Twitter famous. He's like very <laughs> in the educational world. He won like a hundred thousand dollars. Like he's just like this amazing, spectacular educator. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's like my hero. And they never say meet your heroes, right? But we ended up like forming this friendship over, you know, online and then meeting up. And it was just like, yeah. He's like my best friend. Like we like text every day. He's sending me pictures right now of like all the food that he's eating while he's in New Orleans. He's like <laughs> ST, right? Yes. Right. I just see like him as well. He just reminds me of that passion, that dedication that he has to his students. I am just always floored by how much he does for them. And it's really like when I think he's like done enough, he just goes and does more and more and more. And so in the years that I've known him, I now years that I've known him, I, anytime there's an award, I'm just always 
there, I'm nominating him because he, I want him to get recognized for the work that he does. And, and I want others to see too, that like, you know, when you find your people, like, look at what can happen. Yeah. Yeah. So just to make sure that our listeners understand the Jennifer Gonzalez metaphor of the marigold, the marigold is a plant when you, when you plant your marigolds in your garden, your garden grows well because the marigold is nurturing to other plants. And Zach is that kind of plant. He's a marigold plant. And you, what you don't want to do, so everybody understands fully what this is about, is you don't want to you know, plant walnut trees next to your garden because <laughs> walnut trees are toxic. And I just loved how that helped me to understand Zach's relationship to all of you out there yes. who are doing the heroic work in the Hawaii Department of Education. So so then kind of along the same lines, if I asked you to bear witness to the ways your principal administrator, Stacy Kunihisa, has supported you becoming the educator you wanted to be, what is that testimony? And I'm just going to add in a quick thing here before you respond to that, that Stacy is now the interim director for the Hawaii Department of Education's Leadership Institute. And I was thinking a lot as I was putting this together, Ashley, about what tools she has in her toolbox as she, you know, works as the interim director. And also, I will add in that she has an incredible record of improving morale at Kanoilani, which was quite low when she came on board, but is now at an astonishing 98% approval rating of the morale at the school. So, so what is your testimony about her in terms of how she helped you to be the educator that you wanted to be? Oh, man, now you got me like full on crying. <laughs> <laughs> All of these amazing people. You know, people are so lucky that they have their parents and not, you know, my dad is a huge cheerleader, but um, it just means so much more from a mom, I think. Yeah. You know, again, so people are so lucky that they have their moms who are just cheering them on. You know, when there's a bad day, they make them like chicken noodle soup or they, you know, something happens at work and they can call their moms right away and, and kind of resolve the issue. And so, and they have somebody who believes in them and, you know, says all these positive things. And I guess I have that with my dad, don't get me wrong. But again, it's just very different when it comes from a mother or a motherly figure. And so not having that in my first years of teaching, I just didn't feel like I was doing anything spectacular. I didn't have that motivation to. And as soon as I got to Kunolani, as soon, actually, as soon as I got interviewed by them, mm. her principal Kunisa and, and now TA principal Blomberg, I could just feel this sense of like, she got me, like she has me, like she has my back, you know? And mm. I still feel that to this day. She, I feel like she's the first person. She just really believed in me. She gave me a lot of feedback let's call it feedback she would visit my classroom she would you know tell me well why don't you do this and how about you work on this she like truly cares about her staff and about the people she works with and she makes sure of that she doesn't do anything that wastes our time she makes everything purposeful and intentional and I went to her about a club that I wanted to start um Kanoilani Rainbow Recyclers where we instill a recycling program using 
partnering with Kokua Foundation. And she was like, absolutely, let's do it. And I was like, oh, that, oh do you want to see my pitch? Like I made a slideshow. <laughs> like I, <laughs> and she's like, no, like, I believe in you. You can do it. Like, let's mm. do it. And I think when you have somebody, especially an administrator, like your principal, like who are supposed to be like these scary, <laughs> kind yeah. of scary people, like it, it just meant, oh my gosh, the world yeah. to me. And it still means the world to me that she texts me every once in a while, checks in, like, how are you doing? What are, what are you working on? Like, let's talk, let's catch up. And yeah. yeah. I think one of, one of the things that she might have known, but maybe didn't know was that in the particular case of that recyclers program, that she was sending you down a path where you were going to build relationships with people outside the school, for example, the Kokua Foundation, and that those professional relationships are all part of your Rolodex today. They're part of your networking community. So, you know, those things really matter. And I guess that leads us to the last one, Ashley, which is Hawaii now has, and you've kind of answered this already, but I'm going to let you answer in your own way. Hawaii now has a new superintendent with a long-term contract. So let's imagine Superintendent Keith Hayashi is listening. What is your testimony to him? What does he need to do to make sure you can continue to be the educator you want to be and all of your colleagues can continue to be the educators they want to be? When you were speaking that, just one word that came to my mind like immediately was invest. And I think he needs to invest in our leaders. He needs to invest in our teachers. He needs to invest in our students. And he has to remember that morale and all of that comes from the top. And when I think about it, I think of first like a student and when they grow and they do these amazing things, it's because they're educator. So one up, you know, believes in them and the educator can do all of that stuff to can grow, can nurture, can do all that because their administrator believes in them and the administrator feels supported and believed in because they're CAS and, and their CAS feels supported and, and, you know, and it goes all the way up from the top. And I think when you have that foundation of, we see you, we support you, that's gonna like change education and and teachers and how we feel and the things we take on and the Mm -hmm. mindset that we have and I Mm -hmm. truly think that it is in first investing in our leaders investing in our teachers investing in our students and Mm. yeah and I, I think what will happen if superintendent Hayashi really follows that pathway of investment Ashley, is that you'll see, you know, thunderbolt after thunderbolt of innovation. You'll see moment after moment where teachers are like water flowing through the cracks, exploring different avenues towards learning. And so I really appreciate what you just said there. Those were brave and bold words. Thank you. (laughs) So, hey, everybody, stay with us. We'll be back in a minute with more questions for Ashley Mika Ito Masion. This is Guy Kawasaki. If you want to learn how to be a remarkable person, please check out my podcast, Remarkable People. I interview people like Roy Yamaguchi, Margaret Atwood, Jane Goodall, Stephen Wolfram, Stephen Pinker, Ariana Huffington, and Steve Wozniak. 
The point of the podcast is to help you become a little bit more remarkable. To learn more, go to remarkablepeople.com. Thank you. Aloha, my name is Aaron Shorn, a previous guest on this very podcast. I am also now head of growth and community at Hawaii's own Unruler. Unruler is a collaborative mobile and web platform that accelerates innovation, grows culture and community, and celebrates learning. Learners post multimedia, tag their learning, and through comments are able to work together asynchronously. Each post is a moment of learning that forms the foundation of a joyous learning journey. We can be found at unrulr.com. Mahalo. Hey everyone, we are back with Ashley Mika Itomasion, one of the Hawaii Department of Education's 2022 Teachers of the Year. So Ashley, I spent some time surfing your Twitter feed, as you can already tell, and in the context of your time as a Hawaii State Teacher Fellow, earlier in June, you tweeted about growing in the quote, uncomfortable and the comfortable. And you noted how being pushed out of your comfort zone got you to a comfort zone. So I have two questions about your tweet. So briefly, what is the most uncomfortable topic in education today in your mind? And again, you have the credibility to talk about this because of your work as a leader in the profession and what you did with the distance forum, the distance learning forum and everything that's happened during the pandemic. So what, what in, in your mind, what is the most uncomfortable topic in education today? Gosh, there are so many. Yeah. <laughs> I think just equitable education, right? Yeah. It always comes back to that. And if education is equitable for every student. Yeah, that's the issue, isn't it? Right. Are we giving every kid a chance to be known, to be supported, to succeed? It just yes. seems to come down to that. Okay, perfect. So everywhere I go, especially in conversations about education, I hear folks talking about teachers pushing outside of their comfort zones, and I've contributed to that. And that has to happen because traditional education is obsolete, so we kind of know that. So this got me wondering, because of what you've written and thought about this, if being comfortable is underrated. So maybe maybe all this discomfort is the reason why so many teachers are leaving the profession. Is innovation, which is grounded in discomfort, behind the great resignation of teachers happening nationally? Like where, in your mind, as an emerging leader, is the balance in all of this discomfort and hyper-change? Oh, wow. Okay. Let me break that question down a little bit. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yes. So, innovation comes from discomfort. And the discomfort you're saying is kind of, it leaves some teachers feeling like they just can't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think it circles back to your people and and the relationships. And Mm. I, I keep saying your people because... You know, CC Chung, she she has talked about that several times about finding your people and yeah. and being supported by those people. And again, it can be one person, it can be two people, it could be five. And I think when you have your people and you are uncomfortable, if they are your people, they will push you out of 
that discomfort or they will help you out of that discomfort into a place of comfort. And I think that's what my tweet is really kind of trying to say. You know, you only have so little bit characters. You can't really like be very <laughs> true, ph- true. philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> right. But when you are uncomfortable and you have and you and you wrestle with that discomfort, your people around you should be the ones either mm. down in the trenches with you and and you guys are together trying to get out or they're there helping you out with their hands and into a comfortable you know, they, they struggle with you. And I think that that's where the best innovation and the best learning happens is through, through the struggle. And I, I think I say that every day to my, to my own kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's really well said, Ashley. I mean, let's assume positive intent and give credit where credit is due and say that Mm -hmm. all educators are striving and they, they all pretty much understand what a crazy hyper world we're living in. And so really the message is the way to navigate that is not alone, mm. but with your people. Yes. you got to navigate it with your people. And it's within, I think what I'm hearing you saying is it's within your people that the comfort exists. Then, mm-hmm. then you can handle almost any kind of change, any kind of innovation that either you're directing and trying to move forward or is, you know, is happening at you or, or to you. And it's those people who your people who help you to move through that, to process it, to understand it, to reflect on it. That's what you seem to be saying here about finding the balance in all yes. of this discomfort, right? Wow. Yes. Wow. Love that. Yeah. Okay. So two more questions before we finish okay. up today. So Ashley, as you know, all islands in Hawaii comprise a single school district within which There are 15 complex areas, and you were selected as the Waipahu Pearl City Complex 2022 Teacher of the Year, which puts you in a pool with all the other complex area nominees uh, for Hawaii State Teacher of the Year. And I wonder, Ashley, that when one is nominated for such an award, one walks towards the celebration moment carrying in one's metaphorical suitcase the hopes and dreams of fellow educators and even students past and present, your, your people. And so what was on your mind and heart as you walked through that particular journey of nomination and towards celebration? Oh, man. So just a lot. This, this is so weird. But, you know, at first, I when, when Mrs. Kunahisa called me and told me, that I had won for our complex, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to call my mom, which is so weird, right? Because it's been Mm. like 10, 11 years. And then just that initial excitement. And then later on, like going through everything, I was just like, wait, there's, you know, like there's no way they made a mistake. Like there's so many more accomplished educators than me. There's so much. So a lot of like self-doubt really settled in. And I mean, I don't know if Everyone felt that way too, but I just felt like I've just felt very unworthy. And so I had to like wrestle with that as well. But then Mrs. Kunisa, my school, my people, my husband, my family, like they reminded me, they're like, no, you know, you, you deserve it. This is for educators. This is not just you, you know, like this, this award is for everybody. And Mm. I had to kind of slap myself and be like it wasn't about me I feel like the award itself was really 
an award for all of us. And the year that we had, like you said, the, the craziness, everything like that, I just yeah. feel like everyone won that. And I was so proud to be from Konolani and, and represent our school. And I was so proud to be from the Waipahu Pro City Complex area and represent them. And I just know that there is so much more talent out there, so much more educators doing doing amazing things. And even if you, I, I think what I learned from this experience is you might not feel like you're doing a lot, like you don't have an impressive resume or you don't have your doctorate degree or you don't have these things. But if you are making an impact, then that qualifies you 110%. Like that's yeah. Yeah. what the award should mean. Wow, Ashley, well said. You know, I if I were hiring, if I were Principal Kunihisa, I'll take the Ashley whose North Star is relationships and her people over anybody with a doctorate in, you know, early education any day of the week, yeah. any day of the week, right? And I think that's really the larger point that you're making here is that we, we almost like, you know, here in Hawaii, the local bird is the minor bird. We get distracted by the shiny objects that are the credentials or the degrees or things like that. But really, what it comes down to is who are you in your classroom and who are you amongst the people that you work with and how do you work well together? And so I love, I love what you said there. And that leads beautifully to the last question, Ashley, which is, Really, it, it brings us back to you as the educator in the classroom, and it it helps us to circle back, you know, to where we started about relationships. So, a principal in the Hawaii public school systems who happens to have been the parent of one of your students wrote a wonderful letter supporting your nomination as the Complex Area Teacher of the Year, and in that letter. She wrote about how you supported and guided and mentored and coached and inspired her son to pursue a project related to protecting the world's oceans. And eventually, you and these students presented at the Hawaii-based Schools of the Future conference. And this sounds like a story that needs a wider audience. So I wanted to end today by having you tell that story. And what is the core element of your Ashley DNA that kicked into gear in that particular moment? Oh, I love this story. Okay. So this, I think this was my first year at Kanoilani and the fifth graders were doing a PBL project on coral reefs and how to protect them. And so these three amazing students, I, I've always been blown away by them. They were like, hey, like one of the ways is we can recycle. Why don't we start a recycling club at school? And it was like almost kismet, like the stars aligned. And it was like, oh, because <laughs> just, just previously, like a week or two weeks prior, I had gone to Mrs. Kunihisa and talked to her about, you know, my idea too, right? The Kunolani yep. Rainbow Recyclers. Um she was like, yes, I believe in you. You can do it. And I was like, okay. She's like, okay, what do you need? And I was like, I don't know. I've never done this before. Let me figure it out. So the kids, with the encouragement and leadership of their amazing teacher, Mrs. Nicole Lee, they went and they did a 
presentation for Mrs. Clooney, he said they had a slide deck, she, which she listened to and she looked at. And she was like, okay, let's do it. And she's like, I'm going to put you in touch with this teacher. And she's a second grade teacher, which was me. And, I, and she was like, let's do it. And so I met these fifth graders. And mind you, Josh, I've never dealt with kids older than third grade. And hmm. so I was like, these kids were almost taller than me. But <laughs> intimidated. I was like, hey, guys, what's, what's going on? <laughs> I didn't know how to relate to these kids. They were much older, right, than what I'm used to. And I, I can relate to second graders because, you know, at the time my son was around the same age and I was, you know, we talk about like cartoons and, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what do like fifth graders like? I don't know. Like, you know, but I didn't, I didn't have to pretend I was anybody else but myself, which I loved. So we met, we set dates of when to meet. We're like, okay, you know, it was very student voice. I said, what do you want to name it? Okay, let's work on a logo. You guys think of it. Hmm. Of course, Travis made it. We, we printed out t-shirts. I said, okay, like how many members do you want? What do you want to do? When do you want to meet? How do you want to collect, you know, the recyclables? How do you want to sort it? What do you, you know, and it was that moment of, and that whole experience of truly teacher and student learning side by side. I was like, hmm. holy cow. Like it just sparked a whole nother passion in me. And I was so excited. So I started to get, you know, guest speakers for every other week and we expanded the club. We started off with, I think only like seven or eight members. And then the following year we had o almost 30 Wow! from there, you know, we did fundraisers because the club, the students, they wanted a, to install those water fountains where you can refill your water bottles so that we encourage students not to bring plastic water bottles, right? Yeah. So we had a fundraiser where we partnered with the Surfrider Foundation and we sold reusable utensils. We did beach cleanups. We had a recycling drive. And it was just this amazing, beautiful project that came to life because Mrs. Lee believed in those kids, because Mrs. Kunihisa believed in me, because me and those students believed in each other and we trusted mm -hmm. each other and like look at what transpired from that and I think that that's so beautiful when I look back on it and I will always remember their names if I can say them <laughs> if you if you want to say them let's put them into the record Ashley okay so Brendan Jenna and Ian just amazing kids wow Wow. And you know what you've just done is that you've just provided the finale to the fireworks show of this conversation, because that's just an absolutely fabulous story. And the thing that really jumps out at me, Ashley, is that it feels almost like a, you know, the proverbial snowball that's heading downhill and gaining momentum, that every time, every minute that you and your students and administration were experiencing a moment of success in this thing, it, you got more momentum you knew that mm -hmm. you were moving forward with it. And I think that really just kind of captures, you know, again, what innovation is all about. And kind of going back to what you talked about earlier, that this was not you working alone. This is you working with a pretty large community of people that was growing. And they are your people. They are your people. I and mean, they'll always be your people, right? So... That's a great way to bring this conversation to a close. So Ashley Mika Ito Masion, thank you for this time today. Wow. And I hope that you and your awesome little family stay safe and in good health. And I hope that the coming school year, Ashley, 
is absolutely fantastic for you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Josh. My editor, creative consultant, and sound engineer is the talented Evan Kurahara. Our theme music and musical interludes come from the vast catalog of music created by my friend of 40 years, the remarkable pianist Michael Sloan. Producer of 12 albums with over 100 songs, Michael Sloan is featured in Apple Music, Spotify, and all major music platforms. You can also find his work at his YouTube channel. Michael has listeners in over 100 countries and over 2,000 cities to date. Support these episodes with remarkable, innovative, and imaginative educators and education leaders by giving us your own rating and writing us a review at your favorite podcast store. This series is underwritten by education change agent Ted Dintersmith, executive producer of the acclaimed documentary film Most Likely to Succeed, and author of the best-selling book What School Could Be. Please join the What School Could Be global online community by going to community.whatschoolcouldbe.org or by downloading the What School Could Be app from your favorite app store. The What School Could Be podcast is brought to you by Josh Rapoon Productions. Send your feedback to josh at whatschoolcouldbe.org. Follow the show on Twitter at WSCB Podcast. Friends, these are uncertain and challenging times. The headlines, especially around education, can be relentlessly negative. Please bring kindness, compassion, innovation, creativity, and imagination into the world. We need a surplus of all of these right now. Until the next episode, ahui ho, and take care.